Hey, welcome back to the Genozzle Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Hughes, with a special guest, guest Trent McIntyre, who I've been so excited to learn and understand what he's done with brain science and uh, just the, as I would say, how the brain really wires with movement. And he's gone through so many different case studies uh, in his professional career, but most importantly, his personal career. So Trent, I'm excited. Um, it's a big deal for us to have a guest on our on our podcast, and especially one of uh, your caliber of understanding because it's personal and it's professional. So as a trainer, uh, welcome, but also as a personal athlete yourself. Welcome to the Gymnasio Podcast, where you get to peek behind the curtains of what it takes to create and run a seven-figure fitness facility that ranks in the top 5% of boutique fitness studios for revenue. But to be honest, that's the least important thing about us. Founded by me, Michael Hughes, Gymnasio has created an ecosystem of services that blend performance with restoration techniques and attracts top coaches to its facility. Hosted by its owners, Peyton and myself, and our top coaches. This podcast shares our best practices on everything from how to build a sustainable fitness business to how to program for maximum results to how to build a hybrid training module that's online and in person. We have marketing secrets, movement innovation, and breaking down trends in the industry. If you're a fitness professional or a fitness business owner, this is where you learn how to sharpen your skills and to see maximum results. I want to hear your story. So uh, do you mind starting there? Yeah, sure. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to share everything that I can, that I can to help, you know, your audience and help people take their, take their career forward and feel like they have, they have um, more tools that are readily accessible in their toolbox. So yeah. that's great. You set up perfectly, set up perfectly, tools and toolbox. Yeah. So uh, well, um, for those who don't know your story, um, kick it off. Yeah. So I think that the, the most the most relevant thing is that, you know, I, I, my whole life, I've always been athletic. I've always had natural athletic ability. Um, and I played basketball, I actually um, got into dance and became a professional dancer as a part of my trajectory. And on the way of doing that, uh, I was in college and the, um, the reality hit when I woke up one morning and I could barely walk. I had inflammation from the knees down I was, I was pretty injured. I didn't, I actually wondered if I was going to be able to continue dancing. And even once I graduated, get into a company and have my body sustain the kind of athletic pounding that dancing requires. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I could barely walk and I thought, well, this, this might be it. And I happened to be home on a holiday break and I was just complaining to my mom. I'm like, I don't get it. Like, why, why am I so tight and so restricted from the knees down? Like it's, pretty specific to an area and it's 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 just immobilizing me I just don't get it and she looked at me and she's like well Trent that's because you were born with cerebral palsy and I was like I was 19 and I was like right I was like wow okay let me just take that in for a minute let me just let me just sit with that and I'm not sure to be upset that you didn't tell me or to be thankful that you didn't tell me because I didn't have any kind of stigma around that label or diagnosis mm -hmm. and she's like yeah don't you remember when you were three they the doctors put casts on your legs from the knees down because you had zero ankle mobility so they had to force the muscles and tendons mm -hmm. to stretch and I was like you know I do have a memory of having these casts and of course you know my family's favorite thing to do is put plastic bags on them and throw me in the snowbank because I couldn't move so 
it became a joke. And I remember that, you know, that micro trauma, but no, that joke, <laughs> you know, and, and so I was like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. And um, it gave me, it gave me some inclination of what was going on, that it wasn't something that maybe was insurmountable, but something that I could problem solve through. And, you know, as a college student, you couldn't afford anything. So I couldn't afford to go to therapy or see PT or a trainer or anything to help recover. But it just so happened that my program had a lot of uh, kinesiology, anatomy, uh, movement therapy modalities. And I decided to just experiment and see if I could solve the problem for myself. And what I realized is that I had, a, um, at that point, had some experience with Pilates. And so from a, from a smart movement strengthening perspective, that was good, but it wasn't helping. It wasn't solving my problem. And then I had this experience with these movement modalities, these therapies that were great for patterning, but didn't make me stronger. So what I did is I, asked, I said, well, what if I took, took the two ideas and put them together and, and I rehabbed my own injury? But that process was it took some time because I didn't really know what I was doing. I was experimenting and I was my own guinea pig. And so I would just journal exercises that worked, exercises that didn't work, how long they would work for. Discomfort, work for your lower leg discomfort. Yeah, this is the, primarily so I could walk in the morning. Yeah. I just wanted to be able to function, you know? Yeah. Get it. Um, and so these, what I discovered actually was, it was the, this is what, where I really clicked into understanding patterning. And then it, it wasn't about, and exercise. It was about an exercise that created patterning in my body and neural pathways that could stick. And I could keep that movement and own that movement as a strong pathway. And, and you know, later on in, in, in my career, when literature started coming out about neuroscience and brain research, I was like, well, I gotta, I gotta read this stuff because I need to know this. This is like, I feel like this is really important. And I'm reading through these books and I'm like, this is what I do. Like, wait, this is the language. It put a it put a language on what I've been doing for years. And it was like, I had this aha moment. It was like, I have something to really lean into here. Wow. So give us an example of a pattern that maybe you worked in your dorm room or your apartment, you know, you know, kind of one of those things like, wow, that 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 worked. Yeah. So it's it's like you take a TheraBand. This is this was like the life-changing exercise for me was taking a TheraBand and putting my heel in the band and holding on, like lying on my back, holding on to the ends of the band. Like you might see someone do leg circles or a hamstring stretch with their leg up in the air, right? Well, what I, what I discovered was actually what I call the edge of ability, which is finding the, the, the pattern in the movement that is productive without being too easy and without causing pain. And in that sweet spot, in repeating it over and over again, it created mobility and strength and I could lay down that pattern of something that I could own because it wasn't so intense that my brain would be like, nope, dump it. That's, that's overwhelming. I don't like that. That's terrible. I hate stretching. Dump it. And it wasn't so easy that it couldn't stick, that it wouldn't have an impact on me. And that was the biggest light bulb was like that exercise unlocked that understanding of finding the sweet spot and becoming really more and more sensitive to what that sweet spot is. Got it. So from that, you were able to essentially move better from the lower body. Yeah, I rehabbed my injury. I, I went on to be injury-free, dance professionally without getting injured, without having repetitive stress injuries, without having tendonitis every day. So yeah, it was, it was profound. But, but honestly, I mean, that's like, 
on my side of things. It was wonderful that I could do that for myself. But at the same time, I was taking on clients. So while I was, while I was out, when I was rehabbing myself, part of the program, I was, a, I was a TA for some of the courses and I was taking on students as clients. So I actually had guinea pigs right at the beginning to try things on that were the willing <laughs> subjects. Um, thank goodness. So you many know. of our clients are guinea pigs at times. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's like it works on me, but does it work on someone else? Right. And you know, they were, they were getting credit for the class and I was getting credit and I got to be the TA. So um, that carried into then working with clients on the street that were then paying for it out of their own pocket. And, you know, 25 years later. Here you are. Yeah. On yeah. a podcast with Janelza and Michael Hughes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so much, you know, so many of, 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 at least myself, I'm a trainer. I was taught how to think about movement. I was taught how to understand mechanical actions from what happens at the big toe all the way up to your um, ear toward right. the cases, right? And that unpack that. And you not only were taught that, but you taught yourself that. I mean, you, you know, maybe not the same way, but I love what your story is, is that you had to decipher good, bad, or indifferent in the moment. And um, so there's a, a, to me, there's, there's a, a special, when you're a creator of an, an experience like you went through, you, you didn't hire a coach you experienced it yourself and you had not only the intuition, but the drive to just say, let's keep trying, let's keep going. Um, that to me, I, I had to highlight that because that's something that's a, it's special. And I think what makes your program stand out um, more so because it was, you're not a, you're not a broker of knowledge. You are the creator of this knowledge. Um, so I just a tip of the hat to you on that because that's, it's really something special when you get to um, get to that kind of, um, I don't want to use the word capability, not like you have, um, you know, someone else can't do that as well, but you have a deep, deep understanding of personally what it feels like. So uh, that's really cool. And I, I freaking love it, to be quite frank with you, because uh, we talk a lot about that in our training and conditions, like, A, you said it perfectly, at least from, from, from my years, you can't go into pain, but it can't be too easy. Right. Where's the growth? Where's the growth? Well, it's not on either end of the spectrum, you know, it's, but it's not too middle because it's going to take too, too long. Right. You got to flirt. You got to flirt and has to, you know, so, uh, um, so talk about that a little bit more with, with what you've developed, what you've created. And as a professional now, um, how you, how you built a tool um, to flirt with that level of challenge and growth um, and bring up the, bring up that the, um, I want to say this right. It is the brain speed ball. Yeah, 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 yeah. How that come into it? Well, you know, the, the other thread that was happening this whole time with the, the class one cerebral palsy and overcoming the injury, the other thread that's wound through all of this is that reading was always really hard for me. That's right. And you went to, the, to a uh, conference. So as an adult, but like as, as a kid, you know, I'm in third grade. I'll never forget like third grade parent-teacher conferences, Trent's really struggling with reading. So here's what we're going to do. That thing is really hard for him. We're going to give him more of that. In fact, we're going to double it up. I know it's hard for him, but we're going to double it up to help him improve it. Really make him learn. Right. Well, it wasn't literacy that I had an issue with. It was literally the strength of my eyes. As it turns out, the strength and coordination of my eyes to track together on a page to be able to physically read Mm -hmm. what was there. And what I would experience in reading was basically, it would put me to sleep. I'd be one or two sentences into 
reading anything. And it was so overwhelming for my eyes to not work together that my brain would just shut down and I'd fall asleep. Huh. And so when I was in my 30s, yeah, I had gone to a conference, but it was like this perfect alignment of situation because you know, my, my workaround for struggling with the reading was audiobooks. I was like, let's, let's just like bypass reading and do audiobooks. I'm good. I can get a subscription to Audible. Perfect. And so then I was, you know, what I would describe as quote, reading a book, <laughs> a book series. And I was talking to a client of mine about this book series I was reading and I'm, I'm on the next book and I'm looking forward to it. And, and I didn't say audiobook because I had shame around why I was listening to an audiobook. So I did, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mention that piece of it. And, and so she thought she'd be generous. And the next time she saw me, she brought me the next book in the series. Hmm. And I'm like, now I have to download the audio. I've got to listen to it on my trip to California. So that when I come back, I can say that I read it. I had this whole narrative going through my head of like, so that I wouldn't, you know, to point her and make, you know, make the gift look bad. So um, I took the book with me. Right, right. I took the book with me. Um, I got to download the audio. I get to the conference and there just happens to be um, a vision therapist at the conference. And I did a few exercises and having, you know, years of experience at that point, over 10 years of experience and working in neuroplasticity and building new neural pathways. When, when I brought the eyes into the picture, it just clicked for me. It's like, I haven't been bringing my senses into this, this whole time, not fully, because within just a few minutes of doing some exercises and then, you know, me being me playing with different things that I could invent, different exercises that I could come up with right there at the conference. I go back to my booth and a friend had stopped by and I, I missed her. And so she wrote me a note and I picked it up and I read it like I've never read in my life. And it was just a few minutes of doing eye exercises. And it just, yeah, exactly, exactly. And yeah, and so that lit a fire to consider more, like how, like take the walls off, take the period away, just be open to considering that there's more here. Mm-hmm. And, and that was the start of developing the brain speed ball. So, you know, with, with the, the, the idea, by the way, so just to talk about the ball itself, just so we have a context, you know, the idea of having a ball with letters and numbers on it is not the innovation. Okay. That's, I didn't, I'm not the first person to print something on a ball. That's not what this is about. Most fitness tools are either past weapons or things that are very colorful. Right. Right. Well, so in, in a lot of vision therapy, they're using a, a, like a small hard ball with letters and numbers on it. And it kind of hangs from a string. Um, and there's a lot of really powerful exercises and tools and techniques that they use in vision therapy. But what's missing for like my inner eight-year-old is it's not fun. It's just like really not engaging. It's not creative. It doesn't spark your brain. And when I think about the clients that I've worked with and, and the people that I've helped and the professionals that I've worked with, with their clients, you know, people come in and they have part of them broken. There's something in them that really needs a therapeutic approach. They need, they need problem solving around movement. And if it's too serious, they don't want to do, they don't want to do it. It's just too much. Mm-hmm. So you make it fun and seemingly too easy to be true. And you unlock possibilities and you give, it gives you a way in to find solutions where maybe you, the doors would have been closed. 
because it's not fun. It's not creative. It's not engaging. Yeah. Uh, sub subconscious reaction training. Uh, not a fancy <laughs> term, but right. It's uh, uh, you, you him to me. Um, you're on it. You're on it. You know, it's exactly. If it's not fun, then who cares? Who cares right. what you're gonna do? Because training and conditioning is simply that. It's repetition. And whoever said practice makes perfect uh, really missed the boat. It's practice makes permanent. So your practice better be good, or right. better be a, a intentional to what you want it to be training. Because yeah. whatever you're training will get better at. And if you're missing the boat, you know, like I said, you're 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 on it. And the subconscious, right? So much of our of our industry is like, oh, flex the core, tighten your abs, right. you know, then do the drill. You know, like that's that's now that's now conscious. And uh, yeah, so dive into that more. Dive into that uh, that kind of sub subconscious reaction um, that you're eliciting with a colorful ball with numbers and letters on it. Yeah. So if you and I were playing a game of brain speed ball, we'd be throwing it back and forth. So right away just just the fact that you're catching a ball means that you you're not planning on where it's coming from you're just reacting to it yeah right so Perfect. that reaction means that you react to it yep yeah yeah and and so there's a built up built-in element to bypass like stand perfect catch perfect catch like this tighten your core for like no just catch the ball that's the task <laughs> what we want to do is we want to give the brain a task to do uh -huh. So it can it can it can coordinate your your systems to accomplish the task. That's a much healthier way to approach solving the problem. So the task is catch the ball, and so then all of your systems, all of your senses coordinate with the brain, so that you move your body and you catch the ball. Mm -hmm. So that's why sports with the ball can be so profound for someone to improve their life. Now, the way that that I want to up level it here is that um, you know, what, what research has really shown us is that there is a uh, direct connection between the eyes and the brain. And in fact, they are the same, like they are directly connected as the same, same thing. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at the fact that we know that um, perception and action come together, like the, whatever you perceive comes with action, whatever action you have needs perception. And that's really where the senses come in. And the eyes being, profoundly um, important to the brain. It prioritizes the information from the eyes. So when you're playing a game of catch and you're using your eyes to track the ball, now we have your one of your most important senses, attention. Hmm. Without telling you, Michael, I want you to use your eyes and look like this and do this and that, like that conscious instruction. But I'm just saying, just track the ball, catch the ball, now track the ball. Just watch the ball come into your hands. Yeah. And so now we have these two tasks that your brain is doing. Then what I want to do is I want to see um, really what your eyes are capable of. Just like you would want to do an assessment with your client, how strong are they, their mobility, how fast, et cetera, coordinated, range of motion, all the things you might measure on what you guys call a 3D assessment, right? So you take, you take the, those pieces, and when you look at the eyes, we want to do the same thing. I want people to understand that they can look at the strength, coordination, range of motion, speed of the eyes. Yeah. And when you do that, you change the game. So when we're playing this game back and forth and I'm throwing you the ball, I can start to see where you drop the ball more. So maybe when I throw it to your left, you drop the ball more often. That tells me that there's some weakness when the eyes are moving to your left. Yeah. 
So if, if you have, if your perception through your eyes is limited yeah. in some way, then the actions are limited. That's the connection in the brain and, and the output. So if I can improve your perception and your field of vision and how strong your eyes work together, then I can, I can improve the action quickly, minutes. What I love about game breaking, not game breaking, excuse me, um, bleeding edge science in the movement industry is this is how profound it really comes down to be. The comment is this, that just makes so much sense. Like that comment, right there, it just, that just makes so much sense. And yet it's like, oh, I've never thought of that before, but it's common sense that, that comes to play and we're talking about dynamic movement patterns of how a knee should really load. And so it's like, oh yeah, that makes sense versus this theoretical case study to hopefully we find the bell curve and everyone fits within that bell curve. It's like, no, the person in front of you is the case study. That is all you need. That's all you need is that person in front of you. And if you can know how to think and, and, uh, and attach certain actions to certain biological Neuro neurological pathways that just are direct connection, undeniable truths, um, you have an assessment. You have, therefore, an assessment. You have a, a progression tool, and you have an outcome that can be easily measured just by throwing that ball to the left for a second time, right, after you do the exercise to it. Um, and uh, I'm going to be honest here. For, for us who look so much into proprioception, and that's a big, broad term, um, mm -hmm. I'm excited to add in my component now. Excited, very excited. So uh, um, it, it changes everything. Yeah. I'll tell you, like it's, it's like it's like um, you know, it doesn't have to change your identity as a personal trainer. You, it only improves your status. Like it only gives you a tool that's like, yeah. Well, if I think about the the number of trainers that are not incorporating the eyes not incorporating a fun quick game then they're really working with one arm tied behind their back yeah. while thinking that they're studying so hard and they are but they're just not opening a particular chapter they're just not considering a particular piece and so when you start to include that that piece into the into your view your assessments get better and by the way your clients don't even know that it's also an assessment because the game while being an assessment is in, in real time, the exercise that your eyes and your brain needs. And the cool thing is that your, your clients can't watch you watching them while they're playing the game. So that self-consciousness of like, oh, he's watching me, which assessments can bring up for people, it just totally goes away. And I've had all ages and abilities from kids with, with very little issues to severe issues to clients that have had a stroke, Parkinson's, pro athletes, you name it. And those, that self-conscious piece goes away because then they can't, they're too busy processing. <laughs> they're too busy applying that solution that you, that task that you've asked them to do to worry about what you're thinking about them and their assessment. Yeah. This is again, hitting on an, another point. We're not just trainers of the physical. We're trainers of the biological. And most importantly, we're trainers of the behavioral. Yeah. And you can trick them. I, I, I do mean that, you know, ethically trick someone to right. focus on what you truly want them to focus on, remove exactly what you just said. Um, results just happen faster. It's just that simple.
just that and, and it sticks it's really what we're looking for we're looking for stickiness um, yeah oh, so really, sure. truly the 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 changing of how something is done the path that it actually is, is taking that it was one path for you and now it's a new path both paths are paths are options one's more efficient one's better one has longer you know or or better view, ways to view letters as an example um yeah just yeah awesome 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 um, uh, something I wanted to uh, bring up real quick as you were kind of describing this whole process, you know, we use what we call different drivers to, uh, to um, subconsciously make someone perform a task. So if I say squat, right, and you're just going to squat the way that your body easily squats. But if I say squat and reach both hands as far in front of you as possible as you squat, it's going to change the reaction of your squat. Because you have a different, a different vector of, of motion. You have these limbs that weigh anywhere from 20 pounds plus, you know, way out there. You have to counterbalance them. So typically your pelvis is going to go further backwards because your hands are going forwards. And uh, I picked up on that as, you know, we use eye drivers. You know, as you're doing a lunge, literally you take your eyes and look somewhere. Mm -hmm. But I'm realizing that there's a limitation to that. And you brought that up is maybe your eyes don't do that. The way that you just think they naturally should and it yes because there's musculature there that is super finite in eyes super yeah. finite and so I, what i like about it we're talking about nerves but it still goes back to control how do you control your eyes um can, can you dive just maybe even quickly um of the um exercise that you first did or or did in your hotel room what it seems like where the cases and like what was that for you like how, how did you realize that your eyes were um, not tracking words on a page that made it successful for you to read with that um, kind yeah. of like, oh my gosh. Yeah, it wasn't until after I did the eye tracking exercises that I realized that was the problem because I didn't, I didn't have a diagnosis. I didn't have a problem. I, I was just like, I'm terrible at reading. I'm just not good at it. And it wasn't until it was just, you know, it's just a vision wand, a stick with a ball on the end of it and just tracking it as it was moving in various pathways. And just asking both eyes to see the same thing at the same time while moving in space. And just asking that of the eyes and focusing at my attention on doing that, yeah. that, that very next minute, I could read better. And that was like, that is directly cool. connected to reading. I, I see the connection. Cool. And also, it, you know, when, when your systems work better, when they're integrated and efficient, you're also calmer. So like this, this goes right to like lowering stress response. And in, in training, if your client's got a stress response to something, you're, you're not going to have access to new path, new pathways, not healthy ones. No. They're going to, they're just going to shut down. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, while you might have, like, you might have a specific thing that you want to improve, it might be reading, it might be athletic speed, it might be coordination, it might just be balance and not tripping. It might be for kids focus, whatever that is those things are within reach, but also just lowering the stress response, just lowering that heightened fight or flight that can happen so easily, especially over the last year and a half for people that it gives you access to more opportunity. And so I, that's what I felt. I felt like the earth tilt. I was like, that just changed how I consider things. <laughs> I, love, I just took a deep breath right, right now too, just <laughs> bring myself into more relaxation. I love it. <laughs> um, so, and then when, when did this come together? Like, okay, you're uh, at that point a highly skilled dancer. 
um, but also it's just someone who lives life. And, you know, I'm sure when you go read a menu at a restaurant or yeah, oh, yeah, way, right. reading, reading a street sign for crying out loud, right? There's so many things where it's it, you, it's unavoidable. You can it sounds like you did a good job avoiding it socially, but in actuality, in, in, in your own head. So when did this come together? Like, wait a minute, I think I'm, I think I, I can gift the world with something here. Um, yeah, well, that, this, this, this started in 2006. Um, that's when the, the 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 wheel and the ball started rolling down the hill, and I was just like scrambling for. For me, it was important to make this accessible for people. Like, because there's a lot of solutions that are very expensive and, and very few people do them and they're not accessible. And for me, the most exciting part about this was like, how could I, how could I do something that's accessible? How could I, first of all, I started with training professionals on how to consider this. So I spent, I was, for years I've worked with professionals, you know, um, physical therapists, occupational therapists, Pilates teachers, personal trainers, um, psychologists, psychiatrists on bringing this into their practice. And then when I got the idea of like, you know, we need a fun ball, not a boring tool, not a boring vision wand, but like a fun ball to play games with. Then it's like, yeah, this is, this is really where we can make this accessible because we can teach anybody to play a simple game and we can up level and we can down level a game for the person who's in front of us to make it so that they can find their edge of ability. They can work within that zone where it's productive without being too easy, like we said, or too hard that it causes a a stress response. And I, I have to say, just going back to like, you're talking about um, doing the squat or doing a movement and finding a focal point. Yeah. It's one of one of the um, one of the, the fun things that happens when I'm working with golfers, especially like elite pro pro golfers is they don't often have the awareness that they lose sight of the ball and that their eyes are not on the ball the whole time. And so when you when you like for example, I say like, bring your clubs in. I want to see your swing. And they're like, don't mess with my swing. I'm like, I'm not going to tell you anything to do with your swing. I'm not going to change it, correct it, tweak it. Cause I know, I know how it is. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go there with you, but I just want to see, you know, how your senses are working. And so they come in and, and then I watch them on their, on their backswing, take their eye off the ball for just a second. And then it comes back to the ball. So for a second, they've got, they've got bad information of where that ball is, where they are in relationship to the ball, and so that their brain is processing poorly. It's gonna have poor information. So that perception equals action is not gonna be good action. So to improve the action, I gotta improve the perception. So I just did eye exercises and, and then their swing was beautiful and they did better on the, on the golf course. And they're like, I don't understand it, but I love it, <laughs> you know? And, and that's the thing is like, you know, when, you, when you're watching someone and you're saying, find a focal point, then as a trainer, you can go, are they keeping the focal point? Can they keep that focal point? Can they keep a different focal point? Can they do this exercise and scan? And, and that gives you information so you know what, to, what you're dealing with. Because if they can't do those things, if they struggle in particular areas, then you can build some simple games around that particular area, then go back and do the same exercise and watch it get better. Because I'm... I'm a huge proponent of testing. I want to I want to measure the results. I want to see what you struggle with, play the game that I feel like is most appropriate for you, and then test it and see if it if it matters right now for you. And if it doesn't, I better make a change so it does matter for you because in the end that's why our clients are hiring us. Make this matter for me in my life, mm -hmm. whatever that means for them. 
Uh, I love golf. So you just hit on a, on a solid nerve, uh, pun intended on that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pay attention and next don't time. To swing, right? Don't, don't tell you how to swing for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, 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 um, yeah, the, the, the profoundness of, of what I believe you're tapping into and what you're sharing is um, there's so much to focus on. There's so much information out there. The training world, there's magazines dedicated to just pumping out a new article on something hot and um, you know trendy just to keep the person engaged. And there's so much simplicity. And just like, wait a minute, how are your input sensors? Forget about your output. Honestly, forget about your output. Um, how's your inner ear? How's your sense? You know, if you have a, like people, we'll have people with a, a hip replacement, a knee replacement, uh, even a massively sprained ankle. The nerves are not communicating as strongly. They're still there, but sometimes they're cut. You know, any scar tissue is literally a, a break in nervous um, t- uh, communication. Okay, let's go to the eyes now. Well, I mean, we, we know that balance is basically a threefold sensory input your inner ear your proprioception through the context that you're in, in, in stance with and your eyes. Right. And that's why I say shut your eyes to do balance. It's harder. Well, duh, because it's a massive sensory input. And uh, I think every trainer knows that kind of tweak to a balance drill, you know, but they're, do they really understand why? Um, uh, so you briefly went on it, but I would love a, a, a more of a deep dive if you don't mind on how the eye truly has just kind of take us through that path from your understanding from input to brain to um not just to the brain it has to do something with it right it has to has to grind it through then it has to go back out to the system and then into motor action so take us through that if you don't mind so yeah so so the first the first thing to really understand is that, you know, you talked about the, the proprioception, the vestibular and the visual, right? Those three components. Um, the, something that's really important, first of all, is that all three of those components are often not considered. Now you might, you might think because you're saying, yeah, as a trainer, close your eyes. I mean, I've, I've seen it, I've done it, I've heard it. It, it could be really profound, close your eyes and then you get some great work with your eyes closed. Um, but, or turn your head to the side and, or take, take your gaze. But here's the thing, your brain prioritizes the information and the eyes get the top, top slot. So if your eyes are open, that information wins. And so if you've got weakness or imbalance in the eyes, even though you've been practicing this great balance exercise with your eyes closed and your head in a certain position and it's really going well, as soon as you open your eyes, that information wins. And if there's bad information there, it's gonna affect the rest of the systems. And so you, that's where I wanna go there first. I wanna go there right away. And, and, and you know, we, we know there's a tie to um, visual decline and cognitive decline, vision decline and movement decline. Like they are, they are together. The eyes and the brain are the same. And what's happening is that as a, as a culture, like we measure acuity. We measure how well you can see something sharply, and most for most people, that's where it ends. So if you could, if you, you you measure your acuity, it's like okay, you need glasses, you don't need glasses, you need this this prescription, etc. And that's kind of like all we think about with eyes. We don't we don't look at the strength, range of motion, coordination, flexibility, all the things that the eyes are dealing with. But if the eyes are open, the brain is listening to them the most, and so. 
when you when you when you consider that, it's like okay, how then then you ask yourself the question: How much I um, exercises or involvement am I bringing into a session? And if you find yourself hitting a wall, and or or they your clients are hitting a wall, they're plateauing. They come back, you hit, you did so well last time, you push them so hard to come back and then they're the same or they're a little worse. So they've backslid, but you keep doing and coaching and tweaking and do this and do that and hold this and squeeze that, but they're not getting better. That's a huge sign that the issue is in their senses and it's probably in their eyes. And if you go there next, you can measure in real time the improvement. And then that's easy homework that they can do on them. They can play the game by themselves against a wall or with their partners or kids or whatever and keep that progress. So it's a very easy solution to a big problem because I, you know, trainers want to be, you know, they want to have fun with their clients too. They don't want to feel like they're doing the same thing every day, but their clients never get better. So, so for, first it's just understanding that hierarchy that exists. And if you consider that hierarchy as a secret weapon, which is what it is right now, it's, it's, a profoundly impactful secret weapon. Um, that's huge. Now, you know, that, that carries you into understanding the cycle that our brain uses to think about things and, and create output. So, you know, this, this idea of, you know, like if I'm throwing the ball to you, you're sensing where the ball is, where, where you're catching it, you're tracking with it, you're deciding to catch it quickly. Mm-hmm. You're deciding to track it. You're deciding to say what I tell you to say out loud. So like, if you catch it, I want you to say what you see out loud. Now you've decided to say it out loud and then you act on saying it out loud. So that sense, decide, act is a cycle. That cycle is happening in your brain all the time. You're taking information in, deciding what to do about it, and then acting, acting on it. Right. And so since we're already wired that way, this isn't about like, I, I've hacked the brain. Here's a new way to hack the brain. This is how your brain is wired. Let me just tell you how to get access. Let me open the door for you. Because if we play this game, we're going to be tapping into that sense to side act cycle. And then because we're dealing with your eyes and the brain wants to hear from the eyes as a priority, we make the eyes stronger. That sensory cycle improves. The actions and output improve. And it's really that simple. And you can measure it in real time. And I know I keep saying that, but it's really important for people to know that um, I, I want to hold myself accountable in a session, right? That's why I'm measuring. I want to make sure that I'm just not going, well, I've got a good idea. This idea is great. Well, I actually want to prove it to me in a session. Is this the right solution for my client? And so testing it for me is a way to validate that I'm on the right track so that I can keep moving them forward. Now, as a trainer yourself, do you, is that, you say, is that all you do? Is that like, are you, you would say a hyper specialist or have you, do you incorporate bodies into it still? Do you incorporate strength training? You know, uh, tell me yeah. how you operate as a, you know, besides just someone who has uh, an amazing product and you want to in, influence people's lives with it. Um, what else do you do with it? Or yeah, how, so how else do you for, as an actual movement practitioner uh, apply your, yeah, that's a great question. And it depends on the client. A lot of times my clients are doing Pilates exercises. I might be using Pilates equipment, it might be in my studio, um, but it doesn't have to be. So it could also be that they just love the foam roller and we do work on the foam roller. They love you know, the large physio ball and that's what we do. It doesn't have to be Pilates specific. It happens to be a modality that I use a lot. And so in my studio, that's the movement modality that I use the most. 
but also even with that, even within that modality, I've made so many changes based on what, how I understand and how I problem solve my own injury that it's not really Pilates how most people experience Pilates. It's, it's really bringing the neural piece into Pilates. So you consider the senses when moving the body. Um, but certainly I get many, I get many calls and I have many clients that um, are not Pilates clients. They're not movement clients. They are brain clients. And these are people that um, like I have a, a woman that I've helped who suffered a stroke. She was water skiing and had a stroke while she was skiing. And so um, she became a client that I, I taught her how to play the brain speed ball virtually until she could eventually come into the studio and, and play in person. And it's probably the first time she laughed since the accident. So we got access to new possibilities. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Also, it's, what a beautiful moment. But then also, you know, I have a client, um, one of my favorite stories to tell is the is Dan who races motorcycles. And um, we featured him on the website because his story is so incredible that, you know, he was going 50 miles an hour on his, on his bike on a track and lost control of his bike, went head first into a cement wall and broke 20 some bones, had a, a massive traumatic brain injury and dramatically affected his quality of life and his family. And his wife called me just after it happened because she she knew of me and we we've been colleagues for a while. And she's like, this is what just happened like just minutes ago. I'm going down to see him. As soon as I can bring him into your space, I want you to see him. And I was like, okay, I'm ready. And so by the time I saw him, he was about four days out of a wheelchair. So only four days walking on his own, unassisted. And then how and long without a walker? And then how long post injury? Um, so he was, um, we get a perspective here. six, I think six months post-injury. Got it. Okay. I'm pretty sure I have that right. Um, but, but when he came in, he, he has a way of describing it, that it, it was his drunk penguin walk. So he needed the wall to hold on to, and he kind of walked side to side, like he would say a drunk penguin. Um, that's how he could manage his balance. He had to have something to hold on to, and he had sort of like a side to side tilt. And so I played the rain speed ball with him. Now with him, I played for 10 minutes because I was really trying to lay down some pathways and open up some possibilities because I was only gonna see him for a short period. I had one session, what can we see? What can we have happen here? And after we're done, I was like, okay, let's just take a walk here and see what, see what is, see what's happened. Because I promise you one of three things is gonna happen. It's gonna get better, it's gonna get worse, or it's gonna stay the same, I promise, <laughs> right? So he goes, he, he goes to take his walk and you wouldn't even know that he had an injury. It was, it still gives me goosebumps today. It was so profound, the change in his walk. Yes. And of course, yeah, yeah, it was, it was amazing. But then you go right to like, okay, how long is it gonna last? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's the next question. Like, that's a great result. How long is it gonna last? Mm -hmm. And so that was actually when he got home is what his family asked him. Like, oh, that's great and all, Dan, but tomorrow you're gonna wake up and it's gonna be the same. The next day, it was not the same. He had he had kept every ability in his walk and it never returned. It was, it was remarkable. So eventually he could go back to work. Once, once he could be in front of a computer and, and think intensely for periods of time, you know, everything kind of had to heal and come together. But for him to gain the confidence to then go on his own and he did a, a solo trip to national parks. I mean, incredible, who does that? <laughs> like not even fully recovered from a traumatic brain injury, not to mention, meant to mention 21 broken bones that they didn't they didn't put back together. They just left kind of crooked because it was better for him to leave it that way 
in terms of organ safety and things like that. So here goes by himself on a trip. It was just, it's just remarkable. It's so inspiring to me. So I'm going to be a, um, a uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? I'm going to be devil's advocate, even though I don't want to be. But someone said, okay. ah, you know, uh, you know he's, that, that was lucky. What we love to understand is like, no, 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 no. There's principle, principles of why that happened. So not because I'm asking, but because maybe someone else is asking, why did that happen? Yeah. Why did well, eye tracking drills do what it did? Yeah. So, um, you know, if you think about when someone has a concussion, you know, when they test, like they test your eyes to detect whether or not you have a concussion. And when you have rapid movements and your eyes are fluttering all over the place, like, yep, oh, there's a concussion. Uh -huh. So you have a head injury and your eyes are the tell. Remember, your eyes and the brain are the same thing. Exactly. So it's like this really, it's really simple. If, if you, what you're measuring for head injury are your eyes, the way in to the head injury is through your eyes. And then we're talking about, you know, you know, eye range of motion, like smooth range of motion. We're talking about quick, rapid eye movement. We're talking about depth perception. So you have virgins where the, where the ball's coming closer and further away from the eyes. And we have your vestibular ocular reflex where your eyes are turning equal opposite to your head. So those four movements that your eyes do are incorporated into that game. And because it's through your eyes, it just, that's the reason. It's, it's really that simple. Now, you know, you can go in and you can go through the relay where it goes to the brainstem and it goes to the brain and does this and does that and has an output. But the why is because the eyes have a profound impact on our abilities. Perception equals action. And if you have poor perception, you'll have poor action. So he had poor action. So we improved his perception and the action improved. Yeah. Thank you. I, yeah. That was, yeah. I want for everyone to be out there to be like, it's don't argue this stuff. It's just, you know, as, as we say, and you said it um, much more um, purposeful, is that the test is the exercise, the exercise is the test. You know, if you're yeah. going to test the brain by an, by an eye exercise, then why, yeah, just reverse it. And because um, yeah. it makes sense. It just makes sense. Um, and listen, and, uh, listen, I didn't invent the science. I just identify it and make it a game right. so that you can do it. You can go and read the Harvard research. You can go and read all the articles that I've read. You can find all the books. But it's putting it together for someone who is not going to read those books, who's not going to want to understand how it really works. You don't have to. You can play a game. You don't even have to speak the language that I speak. I can still play this game with you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can have no language. One of one of my favorite clients that I worked with, um, who since passed, suffered from severe dementia, and he didn't have language. He didn't have words that were that made sense to you or I. Yeah. But what it did for him was help him with his mood. So when he would get frustrated and worked up and become belligerent just because life was so hard for him in that moment, I would play with the brain speed ball with him and he'd calm down, he'd be laughing, have a good time. It would just shift his mood because he'd have to track with his eyes. He wouldn't be able to do anything else. It's, 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 it's all encompassing, it's consuming in a positive way for your senses and brain. And it just creates that regulation. So it's, it's you know, there's just so many different applications Right. So for your trainers that, that, you know, maybe, maybe, they, maybe they don't specialize in recovery and therapeutic. You don't have to, no. <laughs> you know, you want, you want your athlete to run faster. 
I can measure that. We can play a game for five minutes and measure that your athlete's running faster. And then watch them go, what'd you just do? Yeah. It's like, right, I know, right? <laughs> well, it's, uh, you know, we, as we look into it more and more, movement is the lack, is the, I don't want to call it the lack. Movement is the missing picture to ultimate health. We have this amazing healthcare system. I, we could argue it's amazingness, but, you know, for the most part, we have amazing technology. Uh, we can save people from uh, 21 broken bones and running their head right. into a concrete wall. Right. They can survive where 50 years ago, 60 years ago, not the yeah, right, not even a half, yeah. even childbirth at this day and age. You know, um, again, I, the United States is not doing very well in that measure, but grand scheme of things, you know, we're, we're much better than 100 year, years ago. And what we haven't really figured out yet in the grand medical system is movement. Yeah. And from the eyeballs, literally to the whole system in yeah. multi-dimensional space, right? Just as you're talking about, you're talking about yaw, pitch and roll, just with the eyeballs, you know, quarter back, side to side, spin, spin. Um, you know, it, it, it's to the finite of those little things right there to the grandiose motion of what we more focus on. Um, it all is that it's, I don't want to call it the fountain of youth, but I really would like to, you know, it's really close, even from your dementia client, right? That was his fountain of youth that kept yeah. him sane, kept him normalized when his body was um, so far gone, quote unquote, you know, shut, shut down. That piece was he was able to control and move, um, not only affected his physical, naturally, affected his mental, and then however you want to look at it, affected his soul, affected his inner self. Yeah. Um, so uh, dig it, just dig it, right on. Right, man, this is really, really cool. Oh, I, I, I have a few more questions here. I want to make sure I, I hit them all. Okay, yeah, this is one I definitely haven't hit on yet. You're talking about a lot of other people. Yeah, you've talked about yourself a little bit, a little bit, especially when you just got the news of your three-year-old self and what you had to go through. But how is this right. you? As you know, yes, as movement practitioners, we help a lot of people. Um, what about you? What have you gotten from this? How, how has this changed your life? Yeah, you can bring in more of the backstory, but more from you as a person versus as a professional. Well, I'll tell you that, that the thing that I feel the most is um, a really wonderful responsibility. Mm. That, that's what comes up over and over again. It's like, you know, I, I've had some remarkable professionals in my training courses, really smart really capable and people that I would hire for myself for years. They're like, man, I, I just would have never thought of this. And it's, it's one thing to think of it, but it's another thing to make it accessible so you can do it without having to go through all of the, all of the research and all of the development and all of the, you know, process, but it feels like a responsibility because it is so innately is my life. It is, it is, what I've experienced in my personal life, in my professional life, in teaching other professionals how to do it. And it's, I'm the guy, like that's, it's my responsibility. And I feel like if I don't share it, if I don't make it accessible, that feels really selfish. That feels like, well, what good, what good's it gonna do? Like, yeah, it'll help all of my clients and I'll, I can keep my schedule full, but that's not why I'm doing, that's not the end game here. It's, it's actually from the beginning, even before I had the ball, for me, it's like, how many people can I affect that I don't see personally? That's where I have a lot of fun. Like when I can affect hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of people 
that's exciting that I'd never meet. That's really exciting because ultimately, you know, you with your clients on the ground, like that's the relationship. And it's, it's, it's a big responsibility to be that person who forms that relationship with your client. There's a lot of trust. There's a ton of brain work in building that trust. And so it feels like a responsibility to support you and having more tools to reinforce that trust and to open up new doors that haven't been open for your clients that you've seen for 10, 15, 20, 25 years that still keep coming and you still keep giving them new things. So I have to. I'm like, you know, that's like one of the, one of the tests, like, are you doing this because you, you want to, you like it, you want to get paid for it, or you have to, like, I have to do this. Yeah. That's just the way I feel. That's awesome. Have you met, um, I don't want to say have you met, what, what has been one of probably the biggest challenges that you've had to um, still wrestle with? You know, maybe you haven't overcome it yet. Um, a certain uh, case scenario that's, um, um, that's that challenges you in the methods that you that you're delivering. I really like to try to bring it home. Like um, those trainers who look up to those people who have accomplished something. Like you just like you you're you're you've accomplished something. There's still a, a realness in, um, to it all. Like I'm still challenged. You're still challenged. Do you have a, a, a story where you're like, yep, I'm still being challenged here. Um, I, I like to bring it bring the reality to it all. That uh, we're a we're not perfect. We're always learning. I can tell it in, in you, and we have the humility to to, to understand that um, I'm not done. Yeah. yeah, there's still something. Yeah, yeah. I think I think uh, you know what challenges me the most um, are are working with with situations that there's a lot of fear that is overriding the situation. So because what what I what I've had to develop tools for myself as a professional is going okay. I see the solution. I know exactly what you need to do, but that's that's not going to help you if I can't first help you get through this fear piece. Because if you're in a fear response and you're in fight or flight, whatever I'm saying to you is like not going to stick. Like that is just not doesn't make sense. I don't believe it. <laughs> I didn't. I don't. How do you know? Like that. You know, all of that comes up, and so a lot of times you could have a. A diagnosis or just a situation without a diagnosis that has a lot of fear and unknown and mystery. And we don't know a lot about this situation. There's a lot of mystery and unknown around it. And so that the client has a lot of fear. And so that fear is hard to overcome because it blocks everything. It blocks progress. It blocks, you know, opening doors and um, the ball certainly helps with that. But that's personally like one of my bigger challenges is that there's a diagnosis that brings um, very heavy fear for the person. And it's not a particular diagnosis, by the way, it's just for that person, if if the fear, if we've got more fear than anything else, then it takes a lot of work to to get through that that fear piece. Yeah, and you have the option, but you have the knowledge. The knowledge at this point doesn't it, it doesn't matter yet. Right, it doesn't matter yet. Exactly. Uh, so that's breaking yeah. through a, another challenge barrier. Uh, yeah, fascinating. I, I appreciate that. I think that's I think that's something that a lot of traders at least get coming up into something that I did is that we have this this fear of our own selves. That um, that we're not good enough, that we haven't figured, figured out yet. Um, this imposter syndrome kind of mindset. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, what I really love about at least my story and significantly your story is we figured it out. Uh, you uh, you haven't told me that you have a 
a, uh, a doctorate in neuroscience. Uh, I don't think you've mentioned that once. I don't think, you know, maybe you, but you figure it out. The, the knowledge is there. Um, this is what you just start to do something with it that um, is applied. Yeah. That's what I love about our jobs is it's applying common sense that seems to be not forgotten, just not focused on. Um, yeah. So I hope I, I do, I do see in the future, like education is going to catch up to what we know now. Um, certainly the, the courses that I put together and I work with professionals provide those pieces for people. Um, and there's lots of research that we can point to and books we can point to, to give validation to the concepts and the ideas. Um, but um, I've certainly looked into those degrees. The majority of the content in those degrees is not going to support my clients or the professionals that I help. And, and so right now it would just be a degree to, to look and like it validates what I'm saying. And so who knows, I might choose that at some point, but I'm really not looking for sort of like a, a hollow validation. I've lived it. I have 25 years experience watching my clients. And I think the big thing is that I'm willing to hold space for the person coming in to see me. I'm willing to problem solve and let them know that that's what I'm doing. I don't already have the answer, but I have the willingness to problem solve and I will hold the space for you to try to find the solution. And that's the game changer for clients. Like, oh, you see me. So when you have that imposter syndrome, it's like, let's shift you into, oh, your client sees you. Yeah, you see your client and they realize that, that you see them. And that's profound. You don't have to have all the right answers in, to begin with. In fact, it's better if you don't you're going to be limited by that i agree i agree better to be a problem solver in my opinion yeah 100, 100 i honestly i'm going to end it right there it is better to be a problem solver than someone who just regurgitates knowledge yeah yeah there you go. uh uh how can people find you how can people get in contact with you um how can people learn more about what you're doing yeah so you can go to fireupyourbrain.com and on the website, there's a section called Ask Trent. And I really would invite your listeners to engage with Ask Trent. What I do is I go live every month and I bring the questions that I get from clients and professionals and people that have the ball and use this work, do this brain work. And I answer the questions live and then we, we build a library and you can, we can share those videos with people. But if you go to thefightforbrain.com, you can sign up to get notifications for when I'm going live and how to submit questions and and get some answers. And you don't have to be there live to get the answers, of course, but you do have the ability to submit a question, which really matters because I want people to know that they're not alone. So I, I do that because you're not alone in your journey. And there's somebody who's already done it, who can help. And there's an answer that can, can be applied quicker than, than not. I, I dig it. And uh, I, I want to encourage those listening and A, encourage myself. You do not have to be a brain specialist to use the ball. It can be a tool in one of your exercises in your program it doesn't have to be the whole thing as we like to consider ourselves as um, we collect methodologies we are specialists of specialties and we have all kinds of stuff that we just toss into a program because uh, there's so much that can be applied and uh, instead of using a medicine ball for one of our throws maybe it'll be your tool so i'm looking forward to that and uh, always selling the why behind it because like you said it is just a ball with characters on it right why you're using it and the power behind it just as a mace is just a ball on the end of a of a, of a, of a pole <laughs> that was a medieval, medieval weapon at one point <laughs> um, 
So uh, Trent, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for being, I really enjoyed talking to you, learning from you and uh, inspired me to continue to uh, push and understand that even the smallest things are seem to be actually the most important in terms of uh, how you process. So that was huge for me. Thank you very, very much. And uh, it's my almost of success to you. Thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure. I really appreciate you having a conversation. It's very thoughtful. Thank you. Awesome. All right. See you guys next time. Hey, y'all. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, please share it with your fitness-obsessed friends and peers who are also navigating this world of fitness and trying to succeed to the trends and misinformation. As you guys can see, this podcast is basically a masterclass for trainers wanting to level up in their coaching skills and their fitness business model. We launched this in 2020 because you and your fitness tribe deserve to see an unfiltered look at all the aspects of what it takes to stand out as a next generation coach and build a successful fitness business. So share it far and wide. And please, when you do, do me a favor, take a screenshot of this screen and share it to your social media accounts and use the hashtag gymnasio podcast. That's hashtag gymnasio podcast. That way we can see you and share your post with our audience. And finally, when you're ready to go to the next level as a coach or in your business and to reach more people, please go check out gymnasioedu.com. We have put together the best 90-day coaching program on the market for trainers wanting to become a masterful practitioner and build a business that gives them the freedom and impact. So let us help you do just that. We have online training and one-on-one coaching to guide you through a full 90-day certification. We even get you training our clients live because it's always better to work out your kinks on someone else's clients than yours. But we promise you this, your clients will be blown away by the transformation our program will help you make. You'll be masterful at a whole new level and part of an incredible community of coaches worldwide taking their skills to the next level. So if you thought today's episode had some fire to it, and inspired you to take action, wait until you see what we deliver on this program. So just go to gymnasioedu.com and we'll see you on the other side. Remember that turning your passion for fitness into transformation and sustainable business is critical to reaching the people and lives you were put on earth to help. It matters and truly can make an impact in other people's lives. So I hope you do that. Keep sharing your passion and we'll talk to you soon.